welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, January 19th, we are studying John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. John the Baptist comes back into the text, doing what he's been doing all along, pointing to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, it's a pleasure. As we get started today, Pastor Dandy, give us some context. What should we know about this, about the context as we prepare to look at the second half of John chapter three? Yeah, so um, Jesus is kind of gathered his disciples at this point. He's done his first miracle. He's um, now gone down. He observed the Passover uh, and had his his, uh, very important uh, discourse with Nicodemus here. Um, and so this is where, where Jesus uh, tells Nicodemus, hey, uh, you must be born again or um, uh, uh, born from above to see the kingdom of God. And then he says you must be born above, well, uh, born of water and the spirit if you wish to enter the kingdom of God. And he says this flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to the spirit, right? And so what, what does the spirit cause you to be born into? And that's where we get the um, uh, wonderful uh, uh, John three sixteen, where it's for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Right, uh, and so you are born again to faith in Jesus, uh, uh, faith in the One who is lifted up to save us from our sins. Right, and so we have have Jesus kind of giving that that perfect summation of the gospel. Uh, that we are um, born of our flesh, we're born in our lost sinful nature, according to our old Adam, um, where we're, we're men of dust, right? Uh, but that, that in Christ we are born again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Um, and, and we as Lutherans, when, when we look at that passage, we say, absolutely, we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. When we're washed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there we're given the Holy Spirit. We're given the gift of faith in Jesus. Um, we're connected and united to him, right? Uh, and and we have the forgiveness of sins, and we are made into participants of the kingdom of heaven. We are made into children of God by the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And so uh, right off of the tail of this teaching, then, what what starts to happen? Well, Jesus uh, uh, leaves Jerusalem. He hangs out in the region of the of the Jordan there in Judea, and he has his disciples with him. And what do they begin to do? Well, Jesus preaches the kingdom, and his disciples begin baptizing. Um, in the meantime, we still have John the Baptist on the scene. He hasn't been arrested yet for calling King Herod out for his sins. 
Um, and he is just a river a few miles in the region of Ainon, closer to the uh, borders of Galilee. And what's he doing? Well, he's going throughout his preaching ministry um, that he has been called to participate in by God, be the forerunner of Christ, and he's baptizing as well. And so as we're in this time period, um, uh, we're, we're kind of in this brief time period where the two ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus are overlapping. Um, and that's going to create some questions for John's disciples, uh, and John's going to give the perfect answer to them. And that's, that's kind of where we're at right now in, in this particular section of John chapter 3. All right, let's jump into the text. This is John chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sent, I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's, vo bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's our text for today. That's John 3, verses 22 to 36. So, Pastor Dandy, as you were saying in the introduction, we see a bit of overlap here between Jesus and John. We saw this earlier in John chapter 1, where, where Jesus is, is out doing some ministry already, but John is still preaching, pointing his disciples to Jesus. And so that, that continues for some time. This is a helpful picture for us to, to round out the narrative that we know in the Gospels, that there is this overlap between Jesus and John. Talk about what we find out in those first two verses of the text. And and if you would, help us with some geography. Uh, Anon near Salim, I don't know that that gets mentioned anywhere else in the gospel. So help us with this, this introductory verses. Yeah, yeah. so uh, like I said just a minute ago, you know, Jesus is probably just going out of Jerusalem, going to where there's water. He's preaching. Um, um, and, 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 you know, he, he's... He's preaching and teaching primarily his disciples, but then what, is, his, what are his disciples doing? They're, they're applying what he, they've heard him teach. And well, what did they just hear him teach? You must be born again of water in the spirit. And so what are his disciples doing? Well, they're, they're calling people to be born again of water in the spirit and they're, they're baptizing, right? Um, and so, you know, when we think about that, this is like the lower regions of, of the Jordan River, um, 
probably kind of closer to the uh, um, where it opens up into the Dead Sea, right? And so you've you've got them kind of where that fresh water is still flowing into the Dead Sea, um, what we would probably call the uh, now the modern area the the West Bank, right? Um, and and so they're they're kind of operating down there. Um, but then Ainon near Salim, this is um, probably about I would say two thirds river on the west side of the Jordan um, uh, uh, in kind of the region of Galilee. And, and here John is continuing to go throughout his preaching ministry, right? Um, and and he's, he's got his disciples there. He's baptizing because the water there is plentiful. Um, and, and, you know, really there's probably, um, if you've, if you read about the Jordan river, you know, the Jordan's kind of not a very hospitable place to like get down into. It's got steep banks and stuff like that. So the places where you would actually be able to like walk into the water and baptize people or, or have access to the water to do that sort of thing, um, would be, uh, uh, be few. So he's, he's probably just at a very, uh, convenient place where you could walk down near to the water, do a baptism and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and so, uh, I, a lot of people say, and I haven't actually been there to look at it, but, um, what I've read about the area is that it's, it's probably kind of a natural kind of slower, um, uh, bayish area, um, off of the, uh, off of the Jordan. And so, yeah, John's, John's doing that. And so you've got the two ministries overlapping. Uh, a little bit. And as they kind of have that overlap, um, you, you may want to just like sit, sit here and ask the question, well, if John's to be the forerunner and now Jesus is on the scene and, and Jesus and his disciples are, are proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and all of these things are taking place, you know, why isn't John just like, stop? Um, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done here. Here, Jesus has showed up. I, I don't have to, to preach anymore. Um, and, and this is kind of the, the, a neat insight into ministry in and of itself that John had this calling to uh, make ready the people, uh, make ready for God at people prepared. Um, he was to be the one who's crying out in the wilderness, uh, make way, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, uh, uh, make the desert highway, uh, the rough places plain, the high paces low, all of these things. Um, uh, and, and he's doing that work by calling people to repentance, baptizing them into repentance for the forgiveness of sins, doing all of these things. Um, he doesn't really have it within himself to say when that ministry is fulfilled. And so even as Jesus is going throughout his preaching ministry and his disciples are, are baptizing people now, um, John John doesn't really have uh, it within himself, and he really doesn't have the right to say, okay, my ministry's done. I don't have to preach anymore. I no longer have to baptize. Uh, he just has to keep on going, which I think is an insight uh, for pastors, especially uh, when, we, when we think about this. Um, you know, as pastors are called into the office of holy ministry, they're called to, uh, to preach, to administer the sacraments. They're called to do all of these things. Um, the concept of retirement, the way that the world looks at that, probably isn't the same for us as pastors. Pastors never really get that to, to, to hang up the alb and, and put away the altar book and be done with the uh, uh, work of the ministry. Um, now, they always, you know, they can step back. They, they can uh, take a sideline role to a younger, more uh, energetic pastor. They can do a lot of other things, but um, pastors who are called to preach, much like John, um, 
preach until God puts an end to it, right? Um, and so here we see he, John's, John's doing this thing, and it demonstrates this, this reality that first Jesus is here to bring about that new birth of water and the Spirit. Um, but then also, as these two ministries overlap, we see something kind of taking place that the crowds are not so much flocking to John anymore, and the crowds are now coming to Jesus, that Jesus's ministry is meant to overtake John's. And, and that's exactly what's supposed to happen, as John's going to very eloquently tell us here in the following verses, that um, uh, as John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as he points, what's his intention for his disciples? Go to him. Go to this guy. He's the guy. He's, he's better than me. He's the one whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie. He's the guy who is of a completely greater category than I am. I am just a prophet. I am just a voice. He's the man. Go to him, right? Uh, and so as John's doing all of his baptizing, uh, baptizing river and these two ministries are going on simultaneously, um, the point is still the same. Who does John want people to go to? He wants them to go to Jesus, right? Uh, now with this, uh, uh, as we, we have maybe... I mean, maybe the best image of this is, you know, if you have a, a king, right, um, who enters the kingship at a young age, um, he's not going to rule right away, right? And so you, you uh, um, maybe think of, you know, some examples of like uh, a king being inaugurated at the age of eight because he's the next one in succession. And so what does he do? He has a steward or a regent. Um, fill the role for him until the proper time where that king reaches his majority and he can say, I'm king now, right? Uh, and so uh, th that steward is meant to step down. It's kind of like uh, that uh, the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King movie, right? Where um, what was the steward supposed to do when Aragorn finally comes to Gondor, right? He's supposed to say, no, okay, I, I, here's your throne, take it, right? Now, you know, the movie and the books were a little bit more dramatic than that. Um, uh, they, they step aside and they, they say, the kingdom is yours. Uh, please, please take hold of what is yours. Um, and so as this is taking place though, um, this generates some misunderstanding, some confusion and some tension amongst John's disciples and the Jews, um, which, which really leads to uh, another opportunity for John to, to live in his role and live in his calling, and that is to point people to Jesus. Hmm. So the, the confusion is comes to the surface in verses 25 and 26, where you have some of John's disciples and a Jew get into this discussion over purification particularly, mm -hmm. and they have this question for him. Talk about this discussion that, that comes up. Who, what, I mean, it's the John's disciples and a Jew. That's not terribly specific. Uh, talk about the controversy that's brought up here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there's kind of multiple facets to this that we could probably fish out. I think, um, especially this conversation with the, with this Jewish person who's, um, you know, possibly maybe a Pharisee, right? Uh, and he's coming to say, Oh, hey, look at you, John the Baptist, right? Uh, you and all your disciples of John the Baptist, you said that your baptism brings purity, right? And if you think about this in terms of a Pharisee, what does a Pharisee reckon to be pure, right? How does a Pharisee reckon purity, right? Because 
What were Pharisees constantly doing? They were just washing, washing their hands, washing their pots, right? Um, they were they were engaging in all of these, and that was that was so that they could maintain a um, outward ceremonial cleanliness or purity on on that level, right? So that they wouldn't be defiled by the Gentiles, or they wouldn't be uh, uh, defiled by unclean meat, or they wouldn't be defiled by something that's dead, or be defiled by something that a leper might have touched, right? And it was all kind of this outward purity. And on top of that, you know, how how really did um, the Jewish peoples reckon purity to function, right? It was an outward purity according to the works of the law, right? Um, and, and Luther has a, um, when he talks about this text, he has this kind of long discourse on um, how, um, yes, uh, keeping the Ten Commandments, that would reckon you pure, right? Keeping the law of God, uh, adhering to it perfectly. Yep, you would be pure. Uh, but um, what uh, they fail to see is the effects and power of sin, right? And this is what Jesus is talking about when he, he uh, uh, he's kind of chastised because his disciples are um, eating without washing their hands, right? And, and what does Jesus say? You're, you're so concerned about uh, eating with unclean hands. Don't you know it's not about what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean? Uh, that passes through the body is an expelled, you know, that's, that's not what makes you unclean. It's what comes out of the body. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's what the works of your hand provide. And what is that? It's usually sin, right? Right. And so John is really even challenging this amongst the Pharisees because, because what's he, what's he calling the Pharisees and his preaching ministry as we, we look in like Luke chapter three, uh, John's calling the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, right? Uh, don't you know that God can raise up from these stones uh, children from Abraham? Don't you know that um, uh, God's going to judge you for your works? His widowing fork is in his hand, right? And so, you know, John kind of makes a natural enemy of the Pharisees. And so now the Pharisees have an opportunity to go gloat over John because what's happening? Well, the crowds aren't really flocking to John anymore, are they? They're they're going down to Judea. They're going down to where Jesus is, where Jesus' disciples are are baptizing and they're providing a purity of conscience they're providing a purification from sin through the forgiveness of sins in the one who actually takes the sin of the world away right and so they think they've got john he thinks that these jews think they've got john they think they have john's disciples over a barrel saying huh well your 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 reckoning of purity must have been completely wrong because look what's happening now your 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 crowds are leaving you for this other guy and and then there's also this kind of question well you baptized now this guy down this jesus guy down in judea is baptizing which baptism counts really right and they're they're just trying to poke holes in the whole thing but what they don't realize is that um this is exactly what god had designed all of how god designed all of this to work right um, you know, uh, uh, as we, as we look at this, we see that the, you know, that's who John pointed to. That's who John wants the people to go to. Right. But John's disciples aren't necessarily completely getting it. And so as John's disciples are challenged, uh, uh, by this discussion, what do they do? They're, they're going to come to John and say, Hey, um, uh, uh, what's up with this? He's baptizing. All the people are going to him. How are we supposed to reckon with this now that they've been challenged? 
Is there is there maybe a, a bit of envy behind this question and discussion where at the end it says all are going to him? Maybe they, you know, John's disciples and, and perhaps even this this unnamed Jew, that perhaps a Pharisee who's coming, there's maybe some jealousy, like, hey, John, come on, why are you letting this guy show you up? Yeah, I think there's really something to that. And I think this is kind of a natural position of our fallen nature, right? Um, you know, even even just on kind of a small level, when people are looking for a church to go to, right? Um, you know, say you move into a new town, you got to find a church. What are you naturally going to be drawn to first? It's the big church, right? The church with lots of people, um, the church with lots of kids and lots of young adult things and lots of other stuff going on like that, um, where, where they're like, okay, well, must be the good church because that's where all the people are. And then you you have people who are members of maybe the, the the smaller churches that are declining in membership, and you know uh, you've had like the third family in six months move away to go somewhere else, and and they start to think, well, are we doing something wrong, right? Um, there's these big churches over there, and there's this little congregation that we have over here. Um, what 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 are we missing, right? Um, and and I think that's really just kind of a product of um, maybe, uh, envy, covetousness, uh, you know, um, uh, and, and maybe not being able to see things through the lens of Christ and the, the eyes of God, right. Knowing that, you know, perhaps you're not doing anything wrong when you have the lesser numbers, perhaps, you know, that's just God working in his own, uh, mysterious way and the spirit moving in his own mysterious way. Uh, and putting Christians where they need to be at the proper time in the proper place. Um, uh, and and that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, John's disciples are like, we used to be the big act in town, and now we're not. Yeah. There, There's this Jesus guy, and he's doing his stuff. Um, what are we to reckon of all this, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I think maybe a little bit of envy might be in the cards. So John, for his part, does not get swept up in that envy, as you can tell from his words. Mm-hmm. I have about four minutes here before the break, Pastor Dandy. Start to talk about how John responds to this controversy. Uh, maybe take us into the, the image that he uses of Jesus as the bridegroom and himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Let, let's pick yeah. up that on this side of the break. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and we can just kind of start talking about it. It's this this idea that if, if you're the best man in somebody's wedding, um, the, the last thing you're going to try to do is try to seduce the bride, right? Um, or, or even maybe a better way of putting it, um, uh, say we're, we were, we're back in college and, and, and you're single, Tim, and I happen to meet a girl who I think is just perfect for you. Uh, am I going to go and try and be as charming as I personally can to um, uh, try to convince this girl that she needs to go date Tim? No, I'm going to go there and I'm going to talk about Tim. And I'm like, hey, have you met my friend Tim? He's really great, right? Um, and and that's, what, that's what John is really going to point out. He is the friend of the bridegroom. He's the one who rejoices in the bridegroom's presence because uh, um, the bridegroom has finally come to bri- uh, claim his bride. Uh, and this is the great thing. Uh, it's not that that John has a great following. Um, that that would actually be kind of adulterous, even if you want to put it that way. But it's that that Jesus is proclaimed and people believe in him, and and that's kind of the great big hope 
um, that, that John wants to instill into his disciples right now. It's that um, he's just happy that Jesus is here. He's happy that Jesus has come. Um, he, he has the guy to point to, to say, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has the one whom the Father bears witness, saying, there is my son whom I love, right? Uh, and, and that's the guy John wants everybody to see, right? Um, uh, he's he's going he's gonna to continue doing his work of pointing, pointing and pointing again. Right. So, so, I mean, we really see John here rejoice in the fact that Jesus is winning the popularity contest. That's not quite the, the right way of no. putting it, but, but it, you know, John is, is quite joyful to see Jesus' ministry begin in this way, to see him doing the work that he has been sent to do. And, and John is joyful for the part that he has played, for the gift that God has given to him in this role. He starts with the words, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And then he reminds me, you know, you heard what I said before that I'm not the Christ he's coming after I was sent before him. John, rather than being jealous of all this, of what's happening with Jesus and, and his diminished role, instead, John is actually joyful mm -hmm. for all this because he recognizes that everything he's received is a gift from God. He is doing what God has been has given him to do, and there is great joy for for him in that. And certainly, there is, you know, by way of example, for all of us to receive what God has given us with joy, even if it means perhaps a a less popular station from an earthly perspective. There is great joy to see Christ magnified, to see Christ glorified in what God has given us to say and do. And so we see John doing that here in John chapter three. We're going to keep talking about John the Baptist and what he says about Christ on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at the end of John 3 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, January 19th. We are studying John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. 
Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we were talking about John's answer to the controversy surrounding him. John has been baptizing, but now there's this Jesus guy who's out there. He's baptizing too, is what they are saying. And everyone's going to him. John, what are you going to do about it? And John says, no, no, this is my joy to be the friend of the bridegroom. He rejoices at what Jesus is doing. And in fact, he says his joy is now complete for he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. John must decrease. Uh, Talk more about this attitude from John that we see of humility, of pointing to Christ, and especially about the way that, that this should be the the attitude of pastors still today. Yeah. Yeah. So um, actually uh, there's a, there's a sermon that Luther, Martin Luther preached on Ephesians five. Um, and he's talking about the, the union between Christ and his church. And, and particularly, um, as we, we look about, uh, look at Ephesians five, it's like 22 to 33, I think, where it talks about how Christ is the bridegroom, uh, the church is the bride that, that um, you have this image of the, the bridegroom denying himself and humbling himself in order to sanctify and purify his bride. And then it talks about the means that he purifies his bride through water and the word. Um, and so we have the washing with the water and the words to present his bride to himself without spot or wrinkle. And Martin Luther looks at that text and he, he develops this insight where he says that um, uh, uh, Jesus actually sends out preachers to woo the bride through preaching his word, right? Um, and so, uh, you, yeah, Martin, he says this, he says, he sends the apostle and he sends them out as suitors who are to woo the bride and lead her to the bridegroom. And accordingly, Christ has chosen for himself a bride, as St. Paul says here, the congregation of Christendom and has prepared her the same by the word and the water of baptism. And so Luther then says, now fetching and preparing and washing happens daily in Christian Christendom by the means of the preaching office. And the preaching office proclaims and says first, as St. Paul says here, that Christ has given himself for her. And so what are preachers to do? Well, they're to do exactly what John is doing. They're to point people to Jesus. And, and that's in a sense, wooing the bride for the bridegroom. It's, it's, you know, or, or, you know, um, it's to talk up the, the, the bridegroom to the bride so that she joyfully enters into her marriage. And how do we enter into the marriage that the church has with Christ? Well, it's through the washing of water and the word. It's through uh, preaching that Christ has died for you. It's preaching that the Lamb of God has been sacrificed, has been given over to death so that you might have the forgiveness of sins. Right. It's, it's this, this beautiful image that we have of Jesus being the sacrificial lamb for his church in order to prevent her to, uh, present her to himself perfect, pure, holy, beautiful, wonderful in his sight. Right. And so this is what pastors do. This is their calling. It is to, uh, um, uh, to make sure that bride knows the bridegroom and is cared for by him right and and so when the pastor preaches that means it's imperative that the pastor isn't preaching himself um when the pastor preaches it's important and imperative that the pastor is in a sense 
denying himself so that the congregation, the hearer, those who are listening to the preaching of God's word don't end up becoming enamored with the suitor, the friend of the bridegroom, but that they see and clearly know and believe in Jesus for who he is. Um, you know, uh, we, we actually have an, uh, an image of this in scripture. Um, maybe this is a type of John the Baptist in a sense. We, we have Abraham's servant, Eleazar. And you remember way back in Genesis, um, uh, Abraham sends out his servant to fetch a bride for his son, Isaac, right? Now, now think how terribly that whole story would have gone awry if Isaac finally arrives in Haran uh, at Nahor's house and, and sees Rebecca, Isaac's bride-to-be, and says, wow, she's really pretty. And then what does he do? He runs off with her and says, she's my bride, right? Um, and and I'll, in a sense, that kind of is, is what happens when preachers neglect preaching of the gospel. Um, when, when preachers neglect the declaration that the Lamb of God has been sacrificed for your sins, believe in him. Uh, when preachers deny uh, the gift and efficacy and power of baptism, when preachers uh, are not rightly administering the sacraments, when all of these things um, are being ignored and subverted for something else so that the preacher can feel like he has control of the church or the preacher can feel like he's well-liked, well, it's, it's, it's no longer the suitor being a suitor for Christ, but he's, he's really kind of committing adultery with the bride. And I know that's kind of stark language, but um, it's also a continual temptation for pastors because pastors want to be well-liked. They want to be loved by their flock. At, and, and in a sense, they, they feel like they need to sometimes. And there's this, there's, there's this real kind of fear and temptation that pastors can fall into because where does their sustenance come from? Where does their livelihood come from? Well, it comes from the sheep. They're, they're paid for, they're provided for, they're, they're supported both financially and physically, um, both of them and their families by the work of the church, right? By the, 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 the generous love that the church has for what the pastor preaches. And so sometimes there's, there's this inherent danger where, where we, we forget to preach the things the people of God need to hear because we're afraid to lose our job or want to be well-liked, or we need to satisfy or stroke our ego in some way. Um, and, and here, John, John does none of this, right? What's he going to do? Oh, I'm decreasing? That's great, right? That's good news, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of fading away into the background. Glad to hear it. Because who are people seeing? Who do people believe in? Who are people flocking to? Well, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the one that John points to and said, this is the guy you should believe. Hmm. Yeah, there was a, in, in the, the circuit where I served in Texas, there, one of the pastors, anytime there was an ordination or an installation and there came time for either the laying on of hands or the, the blessing of the newly installed pastor, he would, he would use John three verse thirty as his as his Bible verse, which I I appreciated one because it was short and easy to remember, mm. and and two because it's so very appropriate for the pastor that that the role of the pastor is to point just like John did to point to Christ, not to himself, to make himself 
fade out of the the picture and instead shine the light entirely on Christ. I mean, what a what a fantastic example for pastors, certainly. And I think also for for Christian congregations and and individual Christians as well, that this this too is something that in our our lives as Christians, whether we're a pastor or not, we always kind of have this tendency to want to take credit for things to shine the light on our ourselves. But as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the good works that we do are not a light so that others will see us, but rather a light so that others would see, as he says, there our Father in heaven. It's always a temptation for us as Christians to take credit for things for which we should not, or to to seek to do things that really belong to Jesus to do. And and so for us as Christian congregations and as individual Christians, the attitude that John speaks there in verse 30, that applies to all of us as Christians as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, um, you, you think about a father, a father living in his vocation, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's so fun to go home at the end of the day and, and have your little children um, run up to you and say, Daddy, Daddy, where are your home? You're home. And, you know, little leg, little arms wrap around your leg and you get to pick up a little one and they squeal and rejoice because they get to see their dad, right? But, um, as we as we consider that and think about that in terms of um, our vocation as fathers, right? Um, while we always want to be loved by our children, right? Um, who ultimately do we want our children to know? And it's it's Jesus, right? Um, if if my children grow up and they don't know Christ, I've I've ultimately failed as a father, right? My, my, my vocate, I have fallen out of my vocation and I've missed the point. Uh, and when we think about that in terms of spouse, or we think about that in terms of son or daughter, we think about that in terms of worker, we think about that in terms of neighbor, we think about that in terms of pastor, we've been talking about that. Um, it is, it is our prayer that as we live in our vocation and live according to our callings, that, that. And in a way, um, we would decrease and that people would see that the service and the love that we provide in our vocations, well, that is just uh, uh, us operating as instruments of Christ in the world, uh, instruments of those who, who love our neighbor because Christ first loved us, right? Um, and, and maybe a good image of that I actually, I just looked at this. It's hanging in my office. I have a, a print of it, but um, there's the the, the altarpiece um, painted by Cronach in in Wittenberg, Germany, right? Um, in the church there, um, and it's it's a painting, and you have uh, the cruciform Jesus in the middle, and on on the left side of the painting, you have the the congregation um, and kind of all the famous important people in Wittenberg all painted into there. But then on the right side, you have Martin Luther uh, standing as a preacher, um, and he's he's just simply pointing at the crucified Christ, right? He's pointing at the cruciform Jesus standing between him and the people, right? And and it's almost at this point where the people can't see past the cruciform Christ to see Martin Luther, right? It, he, that the it, he's the Jesus crucified is is the image that they see so that that Luther is just in the background in the shadows he's he's not the big deal right and and that's really the the role and the function that pastors have but also fathers and mothers have husbands and wives have children have with their parents uh 
workers have in their vocations out in the world, um, that we deal have dealing with our neighbors, that we have dealing in the civil realm, right? That that through our our acts of uh, love and our our dutiful work in the world, people would see Jesus, and that that Jesus would be the key figure that stands out, and and the cross of Christ would shine above all of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I mean, just to looking at John's words so far, that all of that really stems from what he says at the beginning, that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. When, when we stand before God as those who are completely given to, that, that is who we are. It's not anything that we've taken. It's not anything that we've merited or deserved, but we are always those given to, then it progresses down to verse 30 very naturally that it's it's not about me and it's not about making something of myself because i know that i'm only receiving everything and so i'm i'm only out to magnify and glorify and honor the one who's given me all things he must increase i must decrease that that attitude of being one who is given to mm-hmm. you know leads to this attitude then that magnifies christ rather than myself yeah absolutely that that that's it, right? Um, um, who does the preacher think gave them their congregation? Who does the father think gave him his children and his spouse? Who uh, who has given you your uh, employers and employees? Who has given you these people in your life? Um, these these are from God, um, and and uh, um, God must increase. Um, Christ yeah. must increase, and that's uh, that's why John is is so able to say this joy of mine is now complete right that 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 christ is seen because that's that's what he was called to do he was called to help people see jesus now as the text continues into verses 31 through the end of the chapter there is there's one note that you you might miss in the esv which is what i've been reading from the esv editors close the quotation from John the Baptist at the end of verse 30, Mm -hmm. and then beginning in verse 31 suggest that this is now John the Evangelist who is writing these things to us. However, some some would disagree that perhaps John the Baptist is the one who continues speaking. And as as you well know, Pastor Dandy, the the Greek text does not include things like quotation marks for us uh, to to make this a, a very obvious choice. The text as it stands in Greek could could be either and I, I'm not sure that it it matters a whole lot for how we interpret it, but but maybe a little. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on as, as to whether we're hearing from John the Evangelist in verse 31 and following, or if that's still Saint John the Baptist. Um, my my, my personal pious opinion is I, I I do think John is continuing on with his sermon here, right? Um, I think it's very kind of maybe rhetorically very uh, convenient to to end John's quotation at the end of verse 30, uh, where, hey, he must increase, I must decrease, boom, kind of punchline, drop the mic, walk out sure. of the room. Yeah. Um, right. I, I, you know, when you think about how actual real preaching and teaching happens, um, you, you have kind of maybe some of the punchlines or some of the really, you know, um, the, the, the things that stick, but what, what do pastors keep on doing? Well, they keep, they just keep talking. Right. Um, uh, (laughs) but about Jesus, (laughs) right. Yeah. uh, About Jesus. Um, and so my, my kind of personal opinion, I think, I think John is really kind of, um, 
he's he's kind of made his rhetorical points and now he's saying, here's why. Now, it could be either way. And I guess it really doesn't change the meaning of the text at all. If it's John the Baptist or John the Evangelist saying it, it's still the inspired word that we have here. Um, and and what this communicates to us above all is that this, this guy um, who uh, John says, he must increase, I must decrease. Well, the reason why is because he's from above. Um, he, he's categorically better than me, right? Um, John, John is a, a, a man of the dust, right? He, he is a man with a sinful nature, just like you and I have, and everyone out there listening to KFUO has right now, um, that, that there is this, this old rotten sinful flesh that's inherited from Adam. Right. And so John carries that old substance from Adam that came into the world from the very beginning at the fall into sin, where, where this one that John's pointing us to, um, has none of that. Uh, and, and why is it? Because he is of God. He, he is the one whom God has sent. He is the son of God, uh, who's come into the world. Right. Uh, he's the one that whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Right. Uh, and so as we, as we look at this section, it's, it's, you know, it's the perfect continuation of why should he increase? Why should I decrease? Well, he's the one who can save you. Um, uh, he's the one who, uh, utters the word of God and he gives the spirit without measure. He is the one who gives life. Um, he is the one who, uh, will save you from your sins. And so he's better than me. Uh, so go to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk more about that last verse in this text. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is it sounds very similar to the way Jesus spoke at the end of the text we looked at yesterday with the light coming into the world but not everyone loved the light. Some loved darkness and those who do not believe in him are condemned already. You get some very similar language here from, from John in verse 36. And this is the, you know, part of the, the Christian faith that we don't always like to talk about. We like the first half, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not, does not see life. The wrath of God remains on him. Talk about that, that verse and those two sides of the same coin. Well, yeah. And so this, this kind of is a refrain that echoes throughout these first three chapters of John, right? And so you have um, chapter one, uh, where it talks about his own people did not receive him, right? Uh, the world did not know him, uh, and and they're kind of left in their ignorance. Um, uh, they're they're left in the darkness, right? They don't become children of God. They don't believe in his name. They're 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 left. Uh, being born of the flesh only. Uh, and then, you know, you keep on going uh, and you have uh, um, what you just talked about here in uh, uh, with the end of the discourse with Nicodemus, right? Um, you have uh, that people might be saved, but whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Well, what condemns the unbeliever? Well, it's because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil, right? That, um, you know, there, there is this reality and this issue of sin, right? 
that's what Jesus comes into the world to do. He comes to relieve us of the curse that lays upon us due to our sin. And those who do not receive Christ in faith, well, they remain in their sin. And if they remain in their sin, they remain under the judgment that sin brings against them. Um, and that's a, that's a reality that the, that the world takes offense at, of course, that's, that's a, that's a, that's the word of, that's the part of the word of God that the world will say, oh, you, you're just being judgmental, right? Uh, and, and to that, the, the Christian can respond, well, no, but God is, um, uh, uh, take it up with him. Uh, God is saying your sin remains upon you. Believe in his son. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, God, God is just, God has to do something with this sin. He'd much rather bear it himself. Uh, he much, much rather simply forgive you for the sake of his son. Um, uh, but it's, it's that hardness of heart that dwells within us that, um, uh, human beings often say, well, yeah, okay, fine. You, you say I'm sinful, but I, I, I really like this sin. Um, you say I'm sinful, but, um, well, it, it, what I, what I'm engaging in, it doesn't really hurt you. Leave me alone. Or what I'm engaging in really shouldn't be your concern or your problem. Uh, just, just be quiet about it. I like it. Right. And, and that, that really is the full exercise of our sinful flesh. What does our sinful flesh continually want? It wants those things that are opposed to God. It wants those things that would cause us to harden ourselves to Christ because our sinful flesh is stubborn and hard and stiff-necked and, and uh, uh, would much rather gratify itself than to, to receive this gift from God. Uh, that's why God sent preachers, by the way, to, to soften yeah, the heart of the right. heart. Um, that's why John yeah. comes. That's why he sends John to, to call people to repent of their sins. So they know their mm -hmm. savior and are relieved. Pastor Dandy with about three minutes left on the morning, help us to, to wrap things up on this section of John chapter three, what we've heard from St. John the Baptist and his preaching pointing us to the savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, a good little rhetorical connection to well, what John says here at the end and what Jesus said to Nicodemus, right? Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly I say to you, you must be born again, or uh, maybe a better translation of that, you must be born from above, right? Uh, it's a Greek word, and no thing. And what does John say about Jesus in, in verse 31? He says, he who comes from above is, from all, uh, is above all. Uh, he who comes from above is from above all. Jesus is the one who's above all. And it's that same word, a no thing. Um, he is the one who causes us to be born again of water and the spirit. He is the one that we are born into. And so we have this, this image of Jesus coming from above down to earth in his humiliation then to lift us up so that we can be born of him and drawn to our father in heaven. Um, and, and that's what God would have us see that, that God has come down to earth, that God has, uh, uh, has in his, in his 
perfect wisdom and his perfect love and his perfect care for us uh, sent his son Christ down to this world that we might be drawn up to him in eternal life, that we might be relieved of our sins so that we can stand before him in clean conscience and eternal joy. Uh, and that's John's joy. That That's the joy that he says is now fulfilled and complete and perfected. As Jesus increases and he decreases, people know their Savior. They are born from above because they receive the one who comes from above to give them life. And that's, that's the, the, the great hope and the great focus that we have here uh, uh, from John the Baptist here at the end of chapter three. Um, it's this really kind of nice little bookend uh, to this chapter and to really the first three chapters of John that we see uh, John the Baptist exalting and exclaiming, Jesus has given his spirit. Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus fulfills what the Father has sent him to do. Uh, and whoever believes in this one has eternal life. That's the the great comfort, the great gift, and the great hope that we have in this text. Pastor Jacob Dandy is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terabella, California, helping us today with John 3, verses 22 to 36. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, it's been fun. He must increase, but I must decrease, says St. John the Baptist. So can every pastor say in every sermon that he preaches and every bit of ministry that he does, pointing to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so can every Christian say in his or her vocation, pointing those whom he or she serves to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, always remembering we are those who are gifted to God is the giver, and so we glorify and praise him. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>